Well, hello, uh, my name is Craig Wentworth and uh, welcome to the first in Tech Market Views series of podcasts looking at how technology is being used across a variety of sustainability related use cases. I'm delighted to uh, welcome my guest today, uh, Matty Yetta, who's the Chief Sustainability Officer at CGI and Donna Lindsay, Strategic Market Lead for Environment and Sustainability at the Ordnance Survey. So welcome to you both. And uh, <laughs> hi there. And uh, we're here principally to talk about a, a joint project that CGI and the Ordnance Survey have been involved in to develop a, a water pollution predictive tool. Uh, but before we we dive into that, uh, hopefully uh, not too uh, polluted waters, uh, I wonder if you could just start with a very brief uh, intro from from each of you to explain uh, to our audience uh, what your roles are in your respective organisations. Uh, so explain a little bit why, why we're talking to you guys today. Uh, Matthew, would you like to, to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, and as, as you've highlighted there, Craig, um, I work for CGI and, and in my capacity as CSO, um, I look after all sorts of wonderful things, um, including um, our strategy development for sustainability across the environment, social and governance, um, working with our members. And um, you may be aware we call our our um, staff employees members because we all own a part of CGI and we're shareholders. And so working with our members to drive sustainability and our sustainability culture within the organization, but also then into the business and our clients and helping our clients to achieve those targets. And then ultimately working with our shareholders and wider. And so, um, as part of this work, um, we launched a program called the SEEDS program, effectively with the um, United Nations last year. Um, and we, we realized there was a real gap in the industry for technology and innovations that worked in partnerships with academia, researchers, um, and that really explored areas that were more challenging and more tricky, um, effectively challenging the concepts, the development of sustainability, the technologies and the use of our technologies for community and for sustainability purposes. And what we really wanted to do was to close that gap. Um, and so um, um, we looked at the different um, portfolio of projects within the SEEDS program. You know, we look at blockchain, AI, digital twin, and really felt a need to explore Earth observation and space and satellite and looked across the portfolio of our 20 partners we had then um, to see who was there within the SEEDS program to work with us. And effectively, we thought, well, what, why aren't Ordnance Survey within the SEEDS program? Um, we really should be working with Ordnance Survey. I mean, they supply us with data. Um, they're a partner of CGI in different capacities. Um, and so Donna and I really sort of connected. And from the day we connected, it was just, you know, the same mind, really, <laughs> and the same mindset in terms of really wanting to do good for our society, and our societies effectively, our communities, and really wanting to drive sustainability for a greater purpose. And so um, we we progressed this idea around um, 
water pollution um, and being able to identify it in a very effective way. Um, we weren't very convinced, Vince, that the fact that we have this challenge of water pollution, actually that tech can't solve this problem, really, we should be able to do something. We should be able to predict it. We should be able to identify it before it happens, because once it does happen, it's a much bigger problem mm. to solve and handle. So we were really looking at it from a proactive approach to how can we use the solutions that are there within CGI, within Ordnance Survey. Um, CGI does a lot around satellites and Earth observation. We monitor um, peatlands um, in Indonesia and in different parts of the world. Ordnance Survey likewise do the same and, and they have quite a bit of data capability. We've got the processing and the system. So we thought this really feels right. Um, yeah. from, a, from a proactive perspective, why don't we sort of come together um, and, and be a lot more proactive about being able to identify um, sewage um, spillage um, and really use our space capabilities to, to an advantage. And having worked with the UN really quickly, um, just to set that I, I had previously worked with the UN in different capacities when I worked for the UK government and, and prior, um, I felt that they would really be supportive of the SEEDS program. Effectively, we launched it with them and ultimately that they would be supportive of this project because it's not just a solution for the UK, but also a solution for effectively the whole world. Sounds like a good moment to bring you in, Donna, from the Ordnance Survey perspective. So brought into the SEEDS, overall SEEDS initiative project. Um, do you want to give a little bit of background about your role in the Ordnance Survey as well? And, and from your perspective, how, how Ordnance Survey got involved? My role in Ordnance Survey is really to um, to, to look at the, the whole sort of sustainability and environment landscape and to really understand what the core capability and competence that Ordnance Survey has that can be sort of pivoted to help um, mm -hmm. and to really drive forward sort of new innovative solutions and services and products that can actually really start helping support some of these key challenges we face. And, um, and, and a lot of people don't really traditionally see Ordnance Survey in that role. So we, we, we you know, we're, we're trying to make sure that people don't just see us as a map provider, that we're actually a problem solver and actually, you know, the location is actually what we do. So when we started talking to Matty about the SEAS program, it became immediately obvious that the, the massive benefits this could really support in, in trying to change that lens on Ordnance Survey, trying to make sure that people right. can see us not just as that data provider, but as that problem solver. And the beauty about this type of program um, is that actually is trying to solve a problem. It's mm -hmm. actually not trying to um, deliver to specific user requirements, which can be quite um, um, quite quite restrictive, actually. Mm -hmm. um, we're actually sort of wrapping our heads around, right, what is the real problem we're trying to solve here? How can we bring all this technology and capability from space, from land, from all of the AI, you know, sensors, et cetera, how can we wrap all this together in a system that actually can say, do you know what? There's a problem over here. We can intervene before it happens. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Um, and, uh, and it's been a really interesting process. CGI, we work with CGI anyway through some of our other space programs and position navigation and timing. But um, but actually the, the interesting thing about it is we were getting into a room regularly. You know, we, we're doing this in a very agile fashion. We're looking, you know, basically just running around in the box saying like, what is here? What can we test? What can we use? <laughs> what's working, what's not working, you know, challenge ourselves, you know, all that sort of stuff like that. And I think it's 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 been a really useful um, um, journey and framework from that point of view, because it shows what you can achieve. 
but actually relatively you know little resource really because we were just mm. throwing our teams together and sort of seeing what we could do um but um but the but the results and the response has been extraordinary Gotcha. Were, were there any other partners involved principally in, in delivering this, either uh, you know, ultimately in kind of some delivery phase or maybe earlier in some kind of piloting phase? Or was it really just the, the, the two of you, CGI and, and the uh, Ordnance Survey, getting at this? Yeah, so, um, you know, we, we broke the project into two parts and, mm -hmm. and Donna really articulates that very well in terms of, for us, it was sort of running around. What's the real problem? What's the core? <laughs> and then what do we need? What's missing? Um, and through that sort of back and forth, we effectively basically identified we need granular data, for example. We really need um, data sets that can provide us with the granularity we need. And so we felt, well, for phase one, why don't we just focus on the challenges that we are facing and actually articulate um, these challenges um, um, in a way that will provide useful insights for those in the profession, for those in in that are trying to do this. Um, so phase one was really focused on what are the data sets, what are the inputs, what do we need? And then ultimately that led us to, to work and collaborate with Planet, um, who, um, as you know, um, Planet have wonderful commercial data sets and the data sets are quite granular um, and, and great. So, you know, they kindly provided us with a few data sets um, to help us solve some of the challenges we're facing, like cloud cover. Well, actually, mm -hmm. we're not getting um, really clear um, feedback or, or information because we've got these challenges around the data sets we're working with. So Planet were a key one. And moving into phase two, as we started exploring, um, well, actually, we we really need to be on the ground. We need to um, test what we've done in phase one and actually work with um, an actual environment, an actual area, an actual location, and see what is the the, the sort of problem. And and UNESCO Biosphere um, working with Andy, um, who's been fantastic, and then working with Glyn um, and his um, team from a census perspective, Water, um, and there's there's several other companies um, that have you know from the census themselves, I believe, are built by Simmons. Um, so from that lens they've provided us with with all of those um, um, wonderful sensors so are very much key mm -hmm. and, and a partner in all of this so those those are um, the three that come to mind I don't know Donna if there's anybody I've mm -hmm. missed yeah think? no th those would be the, the primary ones mm -hmm. and obviously sort of you know we're pulling on all of our data resources too Craig so so not only utilizing you know more of the novel stuff but also some of the open data as well which obviously government pays for etc but, but pulling in our, our own data to try and utilize it in a different way to to really provide not only the context but actually our data has a whole breadth of um, information that is not traditionally used um so it's sort of like pivoting that in a way that actually we can use it to train some of these models as well mm. and and andy uh, you just mentioned that's andrew bell uh, chief executive right, yeah. biosphere yeah. isn't it yeah okay. yeah. Yeah. benefit um okay uh, that's that's really interesting so i mean it sounds like it's a project that really required you know a lot of kind of munging together of data from all sorts of sources mm -hmm. to get a real full picture of what was going on on the ground and and 
and I, it, it sounds like that kind of evolved iteratively as you kind of got deeper into it to see how the how the problem really kind of exposed itself, if you like. Uh, what, what stage are you at now, or what's the kind of most recent milestone you've had with the project in terms of what's been going on? So we've been pulling all the data sets now together um, so that um, we can load it into the Geo360 platform, which is CGI's own platform, and mm -hmm. that's when we're going to start running the AI. So we're, we're taking the previous learnings from um, the work we did at COP last year um, and the predictive um, analytics we did then. We've been testing that in the real world, testing it against the sensor outputs to see are our predictions correct? Can we detect um, if these um, pollution events are matching with what we predict? Um, and so we're pushing all that now into um, this secure platform um, to really test it with rigor um, and to really understand if we can then say, right, we know this is happening now. Let's roll it back and see if we can actually say, well, what, what caused that and then predict it? And I think that's the power of what we're trying to do here is actually to, to stop the event before it happens, because we don't want this to be a cleanup. We want it to be a prevention. Gotcha. So at the moment, it's all about it's all about cleanup who's to blame you know what's mm -hmm. stuff like that we want to yeah. roll it right back to actually no let's try and stop this now and so we don't have to then you know find people we don't have to take them to court we don't have to do that massive cleanup um it's all about sort of like that prevention activity so we're we're, we're hoping that um once the ai is up and running you know um you know the, the new version version two um that um this can then provide that hotspot image of where we think these pollution events are likely to occur based on a, a series of scenarios so that we can trigger warnings um, and then pe point people in the right direction. That's that's the ultimate ambition of what we're trying to achieve here. So, so these just warnings... to add to that, Craig. Sorry. So, um, you know, at the moment, just to paint the the sort of picture, um, we were basically running around. We've got loads of data um, with us. Um, some of the data isn't accurate. Some of it isn't as much as we would like it to be. Um, so we are kind of interrogating the data. We're trying to bring it into a consistent format. Um, and then we're also really um, then trying to develop the machine learning and AI and the training, the model effectively to be able to do that prediction and analytics. Because I think we've explored the Earth observation. We know the data sets that are there that we need. Um, some, gap, some gaps in a few data sets. So we are trying to reach out to a few partners that may have the data that we need. Um, but effectively, you know, we've got heaps and heaps of data that we're just trying to make sense and digest and basically trying to create that AI. So, so presumably in terms of the prediction uh, so models that you're you're generating and developing here, I'm guessing that the aim is to come up with something that's quite transferable. So in a, not just applicable to the North Devon biosphere area, but something that can look at you know other uh, other land areas, other territories, and yeah. and interpret other kind of weather events and so on, and still come up with as accurate uh, predictions about the pollution events. So that's mm -hmm. kind of I'm, I'm don't want to put words in your mouths, but I'm you're nodding, so I think that's yes, fine to do so. That's, that's <laughs> so that's, a, that's like what you're aiming for, yeah. That's what we're aiming for. And to put it this way, we we have data sets going back as far as 2000 mm -hmm. because we're needing to understand trends and patterns and, you know, what happened when, at what point, in what area. Some data sets are national. Some data sets are specific to the region that we were working on, on UNESCO. And, and this is important because actually we want to see other patterns we're seeing at the UNESCO 
biosphere um, region sort of Martin the same as the um, trends we're seeing in other areas and what can we learn from other areas that we haven't learned from this area and that sort of thing so um we we are there we're nearly there it's just um you know a lot of you know put it this way scientists with coats and glasses and hats <laughs> all trying to um chip into something and 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 yeah <laughs> the um yeah it, it's, it's interesting because it has to be about that scalable solution as well mm. so so you know whilst you know it, it, iot censoring up an, uh, a catchment is fantastic actually you know we have to be pragmatic about these things because that's actually quite expensive to do so, yeah. so so again using this predictive capability and using um Kuhn martin as a test bed um, we can then understand what is that optimum um, in terms of um, sensor deployment. So, you know, you know, how many is the, is the most appropriate to, to actually really test these things and predict them well? Right. So you're kind of looking at a minimum viable IoT deployment, sensor deployment, in other words, in order to get accurate enough data in for, for accurate enough prediction. Right. That, yeah, I understand that. Cool. Um, so um, what? So you're working on the, the 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 model phase two at the moment. You're you're crunching the data and so on. Um, obviously, you've been kind of uh, getting outputs from this along the way, um, and you're you're comparing your predictions with actual events. You're saying to to kind of double double check things. So what sort of you know um, benefits are you seeing? You know how how long did it take to to train the accuracy to 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 be uh, confident in what it was telling you? Yeah, um, um, just on the benefits question there, that's really vast and broad. So um, one of the benefits that we're seeing is that it's quite nice to have different data sets, different data sets type, because they all complement each other. So the sensors are great for our Earth observation data because actually they're validating stuff from the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're seeing things like ammonia, phosphorus, and we can see them in trends and and um, peaks and spikes um, on a monthly basis. And as they continue um, coming in, depending on the sensors we're using, some of them are, you know, if they've been disconnected, then you would see the peaks up to July or whatever it was. What is also interesting to see is um, when you add in data sets such as rainfall data sets, um, and you actually see the peaks of when, you know, the, the rainfall was sort of the highest and actually the impact of what that did to the census data or um, the peak that correspond with the rainfall peaks as well. Um, so we are starting to see from a benefits perspective, just the correlation between the different data sets and actually being able to tell that story between yeah, we were absolutely right. So that peak mm. does actually correspond to what we're seeing on the ground. Um, and then when you add in the different other data sets, so elevation, water course data, where the water's flowing and where the sensors are positioned and where the um, incident would have occurred a year ago, two years ago, or even just a few months ago in terms of point source pollution from the actual area, and actually seeing um, um, a lot more of what the sensors are capturing, whether that's ammonia and so forth, you know, seeing the vegetation and seeing the population data and whether we've got infrastructure um, and, and just how, you know, 
would that have any impact on mm. the flow of the pollution, for example, vegetation? Um, and then also seeing what activities are happening on the ground from an agriculture perspective um, and a farming perspective. Well, actually being able to question, we didn't have a point source pollution here, but you know, we, we don't have any, maybe a water company or whatever it is that's actually produced that pollution here. But what we can see is agriculture, is land, and other activities that, oh, that we never thought of that actually having mm. an impact on, on pollution. And then where we've highlighted the water course, because there, there's, al there's almost three types of pollution. There's, there's the point source, which um, is effectively from a direct source. There's the non-point source, which is effectively from activities on the ground and water um, runoff carrying that pollution into the water systems. And then there's that sort of transboundary where the water from Reading is flowing all the way to Coombe Martin, for example, and maybe carrying the pollution with it. This is just mm. a, a high level example. And I, so it's just being able to see those differences yeah. and, and being able to tell that, that story and then ultimately training that machine learning AI to be able to identify and effectively think like us, but in a more clever scientific mm. way. So, so yeah, I guess I think, the the AI kind of has to to learn the land, doesn't it? So that, yeah, to, yeah. to understand what the, what the lag is between various inputs and various outputs. Yeah. Right. Sorry. I think that's what's important, Craig. I think to me that, that one of the really important things about this project is that you know this is a complex system. Mm -hmm. So, so the problem that we've been looking at it historically is it's all been divided out in different responsibilities. So, you know, some people are using sensors, some people are using earth observation, some people are using whatever um, and nobody's really brought it together in terms of this this holistic view before and to really try and understand where all this stuff is coming from and and the systems now enable us to do that so ai enables us to do that because we can we can test things out really really quickly so long as we can get the right data inputs and that's what matty was saying you know it's, it's that's been really the main challenge isn't it matty is finding all that appropriate data what is the best data to use um so so we kind of like bust all those silos apart because we are not you know, because we've been trying to solve the problem. We don't have a particular requirement or regulation requirement over here. We don't have a particular customer need over there. We are literally just trying to solve that mm. problem. And I think that's what's been so powerful because the complex systems need this type of approach to really help get to that simple view of saying, right, actually, there's a problem <laughs> over here. Let's go, go in and tackle that one. Um, yeah. But you have to bring all that together to really understand it. Otherwise, you miss all these nuances. I mean, uh, I guess, given that you're, you're looking to solve a you know, a thorny problem rather than a you know, particularly a customer requirement or something like that. Um, has there been any attempt to try and apply any kind of ROI um, to the benefits you're getting? You know, because this this initiative costs money somewhere. <laughs> so you know, to 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 uh, apply this elsewhere for other people to come and do what you're doing and so on. Um, there's going to be you know thought processes around you know mm. uh, what do, what does it cost and what do I get out of it and obviously there's environmental benefits and there's, there's indirect mm. benefits to the people on the land using the land and, and so on but has anybody actually tried to put figures to it to that would help business cases and things like that? <laughs> So we have, and this is the, in fact, I think the reason Donna's laughing and giggling is we were actually just messaging each other um, yesterday um, around this very, very question. Um, we have been doing that throughout the process, Craig, and a really good question. And um, we've looked at it from, and looking at the Coombe Martin area, we've looked at it from the perspective of actually 
um, the tourism and the mm -hmm. activity within that area that's impacted. Um, and when you look at things like leisure and recreation, you know, you're taking me back to my, my PhD research around this notion of natural capital and um, the intangible benefits of nature that we don't always see and value because there isn't quite a price mm -hmm. or a market value attached to it. Um, and so, you know, topics such as recreation and leisure um, don't always have a price associated with it, but they bring amazing benefits to us as human beings and from a well-being perspective, the ability to be with our families in, in different capacity. You can't quite put a price on that, you know, um, but actually you can, you know, and we probably <laughs> need to start doing yeah. it because that's yeah. that's part of the problem that we're not valuing it in in the same way as we value going to the shop and buying the toy for for or buying a car or buying what whatever um so from that perspective we've been thinking about it from the perspective of the ecosystem services biodiversity loss and actually then the the knock on impact that that has you look at for example bees um and and pollination and actually the wipeout of bees will have significant impacts on us as human beings. So it's thinking about soil degradation, land degradation, um, waste, um, and all of the other um, nature and biodiversity impacts that they have on production and outputs um, and actually being able to grow our crops um, over a period of time when you look forward and ahead to 2050. And ultimately, our measures of GDP will then be impacted and we will then really mm. know the true value of nature because we, we're suddenly no longer able to produce and grow the goods and the services we need in order to feed our communities, in order to feed other communities. And then, mm. of course, the costs of the technologies themselves, um, earth observation, satellites, sensors, um, people's time and the scientists that are needed to actually develop these ideas. And when you quantify it all, but actually the value of doing this far outweighs the minimal cost of building it now and then repeating it over the years. I think the, the benefits when you really quantify all of this far outweighs the you know, what I would say the small amount that's needed to invest in this for us to really do it properly, as Donna's highlighted, that complicated system that we need to bring together in order to get all of these different um, facets talking in the right way. Well, we're, we're shortly coming up on time, but I wonder to, to, to wrap up, um, Donna, if you've got any kind of lessons learned that you'd like to kind of share anything you uh, you wish you hadn't done or wish you had done <laughs> um, <laughs> that might have helped with the project along the way or, or things that you've learned so far that you're definitely going to do in phase three, four or what have you? Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I, mean, I think because we've been um, learning as we go and, you know, which is because, of course, you know, we, we've never worked together like this before. Um, and actually, Matty and I physically only ever met each other once or twice. <laughs> so, um, you know, so it's, it's quite, so all of this has been done in a hybrid way as well. So 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 that's been interesting too to bring two totally separate teams, you know, one which is a Govco, which has its own specific ways of working, uh, one which is a big corporation who has its own way and bringing all these together. And actually, well, I think what surprises us is how well that has worked. 
Um, you know, so so I think one of the key lessons is, you know, never be frightened to crash those two worlds together because actually <laughs> amazing things can happen. Um, yeah. I think that the, the, the most important thing is to, to get in the right people in the room. They've got to be enthusiastic. It's hard stuff. You know, they are they, it's, when we started, it was really unknown as to what we could do. Um, so it was really testing the art of the possible and, and doing that in an iterative way, you know, testing it constantly. And then having those milestones like COP were really helpful. Mm-hmm. to make sure we could deliver something so it gave us that runway to say right we've got to yeah. stop here we've got to keep you know get to that focus so it's having key things like that for this type of project I think is really really important um but the the, the thing that I think has been really interesting is is as Matty says it's telling the story because that's been one of the powers of this piece is actually explaining to people why we think this is important what we're trying to achieve um and um, and the response has been phenomenal um you know because people really recognize that we are trying to solve this problem yeah um you know but from our side you know we've had all the um you know internal stakeholders are, are behind it they really see the value of this type of project um particularly if we can support sort of un um key goals you know we work across uh, the world from from that perspective too so so it's it, it chimes really well with what ordnance survey you know does do historically you know we know location well we've got this fantastic you know half a billion data points of information we can use across the UK um, and actually using the UK as a training ground then helps us CGI and OS to then look at the international space and say look we've done it here mm. you know we've got this to work let's help you um, in your country deliver this type of thing because you know as Matty says it's not just it's not just about the the the, the black and white figures in terms of um, you know you've got the you know this is going to cost us x and this is the the benefits it gives us in efficiencies, et cetera. These are wide scale impacts, yeah. you know, all the way through killing fish to, um, you know, making people very sick on beaches, you know, all this sort of stuff and actually harmful to, to nature, you know, removing all the oxygen from water, et cetera, et cetera. The, the impacts are so vast and variable that actually, as Natty says, it's quite hard then to stack that up into a value case. Um, yeah. But you can because the cost of these cleanup things are huge. Um, yeah, but, um, but I think... think think possibly I mean I don't know about you Matty I'm not, not sure whether or not there are any specific things we would have done differently actually we wouldn't do anything differently my only plea Craig is um if they are um you know met offices is there or or anybody's there that's got rainfall data throw it this way um <laughs> we need more of it so um to those who are in your audience that have rainfall data check it this way because we need that in in our in our um, analysis well, thank you very much both for, for your time today. It's been a thoroughly enlightening, very interesting conversation, fascinating project. I wish you all the, all the best all the, well, with uh, future future phases and so on. So uh, all that remains for me to do is to thank my guests, uh, Matty Gator and um, Donna Lindsay. Thank you very much, both. And thank um, and thank you, everybody. Uh, hopefully see you next time. Visit www.techmarketview.com/sustainability for more of our sustainability technology research.